Welcome to episode 6 of IQS Tech Factory talk series. Today we talk to Nicolas Abril, Vice President Europe at Dragon Innovation. everyone and thank you for joining us another episode of IQS Tech Factory talk series. In fact, this is going to be the last episode of the season or the last episode before the, the summer break. My name is Ariel Pascual. I'm the managing director of IQS Tech Factory. We are a European hub for industrial innovation and entrepreneurship based in Barcelona. And our goal, our mission is to help develop the next generation of industrial companies. How do we do that? Well, basically, we run an acceleration program where we are helping hardware startups to go from a functional prototype to the first industrial series. And today, we're going to talk a lot about that, about how to industrialize and to manufacture with our guests. Also, we host an annual event um, around industrial innovation and entrepreneurship. And as we mentioned in the last uh, episode, you can already write down in your agendas. That's going to be January 20th and January 21st. Uh, uh, 2021. You can write down this in your agendas. It's going to be a full day. It's going to be uh, online content. And then we're going to have another day that is going to be um, location-based. And finally, what we do is that we run a community of heads of innovation from large industrial companies that they are looking for ways to engage with innovative startups and innovative hardware startups. So why do we do this? Why are we hosting this uh, talk series? So as one of our aims is to, as a hub for industrial innovation entrepreneurship, is to uh, explain, to tell the world that it pays off to invest uh, in industrial startups and in hardware-based startups. And one way to do that is to talk directly with those making it happen. So we have organized a series of conversations with uh, scientists, entrepreneurs, investors, heads of acceleration programs in order to get their vision about what does it take um, to create the next generation of industrial companies. Before we start, I would like to thank once again to the entire IQS Tech Factory and Barter teams for making this possible. I, I always mention that, but, but it's true. Uh, although it's me and then it's the guest in front, there is a full team behind of people making, uh, making this possible and, and running it uh, smoothly. So thank you very much for your support. And also, I would like to remind you that you can send questions uh, to our guests today, and you can do that in several ways. One way is if you are watching through our uh, website, then bet in our website, there is a chat option, and you can just write the questions there, and we're going to get them. And if you're watching through social media like uh, Twitter or you're watching in YouTube Live, you can leave a comment and you can put the hashtag uh, talk series IQSTF and we're gonna grab the, the, the question from there. So today with us, uh, we have uh, Nicolas Abril. Nicolas is a chemical engineer from ESPCI in Paris, and he holds a master's degree in material science and engineering from MIT. Moreover, Nicolas uh, held several positions in the areas of quality processes and product management in industrial companies. And before joining Dragon Innovation, and we're going to talk about his position today, Nicolas spent several years at airborne oil and gas 
implementing continuous quality approaches. Today, Nicolas is a vice president uh, of Europe at Dragon Innovation. And this is an Avinet company where he helps hardware startups and SMEs to go from prototype to high volume manufacturing. Nicolas, thanks for uh, joining us uh, today. Thank you, it's a pleasure. No, thanks. Actually, I'm very happy to have you with us because um, uh, for us and for those working in, in with hardware startups, uh, Dragon Innovation is really uh, uh, a reference, I will say, um, especially because, uh, and we want to talk about the work that Dragon Innovation does, but if it happens that you uh, have a hardware startup and you want to learn what does it take to manufacture that first series and go and getting ready for that the website of dragon manufacturing of dragon innovation it's full of resources uh, it's the place to go for many of us uh, to to understand what does it take and not only resources explaining the processes in the in the blog post but also they develop several tools and and layouts so uh it can make your life easier so Thank you very much for, uh, for, for providing all this information for, for so many years. Thank you. It's a pleasure. We love what we do. <laughs> well, it, it, uh, we can tell, actually, by that. So, but I would recommend anyone um, spend some time uh, browsing the huge library of Dragon Innovation and, and the blog uh, section of the website because it's um, full of great information. So... To start off, Nicolas, uh, we always like to to uh, to understand where our guests come from. So, can you briefly tell us about your background and and specifically, we I will be interested on how did you go from working for the oil and gas industry to support hardware uh, startups and SMEs? Yeah, so it's it's a good it's a good question, uh, and I'll I'll take it broadly because you have to go uh, you have to go far back to understand uh, um, what what happened. So my, my trajectory was not you know was not linear. It's not like I studied you know oil or I studied you know uh, geology. Um, I actually in high school I decided to take a track where um, I would have in addition to the standard math and physics and you know uh, other other classes, I will also take machining. So I would work on a lathe, on a milling machine, uh, study automation, uh, electronics. We would program a seven-segment LED to make you know, all the numbers. That's as far you know, it was going back then. That was you know, over 25 years ago. Uh, technical drawing, no, you know, I mean, I think we saw one computer at the end of the class where we made a cube in 3d and that was how far you know we could uh, model there was uh there was no subtractive you know uh, or additive modeling uh there was no cnc so that's that's how i started and then um i went to study at the uh spci or espci which is the school of physics and chemistry of the city of paris and we studied both physics and chemistry and i focused focused on chemistry and on you know polymers and that was, you know, a three-year intense, you know, uh, training. But this typically leads to uh, becoming a researcher, and that was not quite my thing. Uh, I, I tend to prefer to see the result of my action happen within a couple of months, uh, maybe a few years, but not, you know, twenty years. 
so then I went to MIT. I had the opportunities to get uh, to study, to get a master in material science, focusing on uh, composites and polymers. Uh, and this composites uh, experience that I gained there, that I applied to the uh, abrasive industry, then uh, to the um, wind industry when I made uh, was helping make blades for wind turbine, carried me into this company called Airborne Oil and Gas, which is now part of GE, uh, which is making uh, composite pipes. So think about a garden hose on steroid, something that's going to be this big that can go from the surface of the sea down to two kilometers on the bottom of the ocean. It doesn't rust. Uh, you don't have to weld it. And and it's not so you save a lot of time on a vessel. Uh, so I wasn't, you know, I was involved on making composite pipes for the oil and gas industry. Uh, and everything was well, was working well when I joined when the barrel of crude was over $110 a barrel. Uh, unfortunately, uh, five years later, the barrel was below 65. No fault of my own, but. Uh, the business was a lot more difficult. So it was time to, you know, you know, go look at something else. And what I realized at the time is I had spent 20 years, uh, close to 20 years in different manufacturing organization, uh, large and small companies, uh, running processes, seeing the complexity of running a stable process and optimizing it. Uh, and also creating, you know, designing a prototype machine, programming it, uh, whether it was, you know, PLC at the time, uh, and, and the difficulty of finding suppliers, uh, assembling the product, and also transferring what is all in your head. You design a machine, you understand it completely, and then you ask someone else to run it, and you have to train them, and you have to, they only see possibly a small part of what you do, the, the whole, and it, it's it's challenging. And then you, that's when you start needing to put some quality plan in, places, in place. Uh, and I had the chance to, to, to study and to get my uh, Six Sigma you know, black belt when I was in the, uh, you know, working in the aerospace industry. So all these come together, all those elements are what a startup team looking at ramping up is going to have to to face and to uh, yeah, and to tackle. So that that's a bit the the the, the nonlinear trajectory that that, that I followed, uh, spanning industries from oil and gas to wind renewable to water desalination system to abrasives, um, and now into the uh, startup you know hardware startup you know, connected hardware startups. But it, but it makes so much sense. Yes, it's not linear, but at the end of the day, um, all these uh, skills and all these uh, uh, knowledge that you've been picking in all these different places, they, it comes so nicely together, specifically for the kind of work you're doing. And we're going to talk about that. Something that called my attention is um, exactly what you were saying, is, is uh, the focus uh, uh, that you've been having in, in continuous improvement uh, on quality systems uh, approaches. And, and that caught my attention because I have to say that back on the day, my first uh, job uh, after I finished my, my, my master's was in consultancy and, and it was about implementing quality management systems in, in factories. And, and already before that, the whole idea of, of uh, continuous improvement, the Deming cycle, you know, like plan, do, check, act, 
for me was um it was uh, mind blowing if you want it was it it, it was uh, illuminating and i have to say that over the years i've been using that kind of approach for so many things i've been doing is almost like a principle of life you know like maybe you don't need to do um uh, a radical improvement from one step to another but as long as you're keeping a pace and it's always like some incremental improvement and you're doing this con constantly you know you you can reach very far so how relevant do you think or, or your experience is telling you that, that this continuous improvement approach is specifically for, for hardware startups when, when you are going from uh, having an initial idea, uh, uh, as you were saying before, and then you have your, your functional prototype and you're going to go to manufacturing. Is the idea of continuous improvement something that is valuable at this moment, at this point? So... My first, you know, uh, reaction would be no. It's not. Uh, it's not very relevant because for continuous improvement to take place, you need a stable process. And when you're in a startup mode, when you're developing, you're making step changes. So you, the the people who are most active at that point are the the dreamers, the visionaries, the people who are going to bring you in steps and 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 you know make make a big change. Um, so until you have a stable process, so not for when you're in a startup mode, but more when you're in a scale up and, you know, when, once after you've ramped up, uh, then you can start doing this, uh, continuous improvement for the continuous improvement. What I see is unlike this, the, you know, you don't need a dreamer or an, an innovator or a creative person. You need a listener. Uh, you need someone who is going to go to a line, look at a process and, and watch and pay attention to what's happening because you're not trying to change the machine. You're not trying to you know, change everything, repaint the whole, whatever. You're looking at the operator, which every couple of parts is gonna rub her shoulders. And you're gonna say, wait, if, if I keep on going this way, after 500 or 5,000 repetition, this person has a major shoulder problem. He or she is gone. You need to train someone else. You know, and how about I, wh why is this coming from? And then that's, you start you know, thinking what's the root cause. And maybe it's the seat is a little too high or the, the, the button is a little bit too low. And, and you make this small change. You move the button by five centimeters lower. You adjust the seat a little bit or you move the part. Small changes that make it, you know, that it's more stable, that 5,000 parts later on, you don't have a step change where you have a different mm -hmm. operator or you need a completely mm -hmm. different. Um, it's listening to, you know, the, 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 the wheel that squeaks a little bit. You know, you might need, yeah, something is going to happen. You know, maybe you should add some oil and maybe you should plan a preventive maintenance. Now you plan it. Because if you don't plan it, that wheel, that bearing is going to seize and then it stops at the worst possible time. It's going to be in the middle of the night, the supplier is going to be on vacation and you lose three weeks. And that's more than a pro, a listener. Uh, now, that person, however, you know, the, the decision you're going to make early on, what we, used to, what we like to say at Dragon is early decisions cast long shadows. So you want to have that person who has this knowledge and this mentality of continuous improvement in your team early on. It's like the voice of manufacturing, you know, 
you want that voice at the table while you develop. Because you might be thinking, you know, oh, you know, while well, you design, we just put that cheap bearing over there. But that voice there say, you're saving two bucks on the bearing there, but if you don't do anything, you're gonna lose three weeks, you know, later on. That, you know, and, and that's why I'm part of, you know, as a, a act as a manufacturing advisor in, you know, in different companies. Uh, that's why I mentor in different accelerators uh, to be that, that, that voice early on at the table. Because that's typically not the case. Actually, what we see also in our program at, at uh, our acceleration program is that uh, typically hardware-based startups and, and specifically also in our case, which are science-based and engineering-based, the first phase for them is being about designing for technology validation, let's say. So to, to show that it's possible to do that. Um, and, it, and it's more like a, a, a step process approach. Like once we reach that milestone, then we will start thinking about designing for manufacturing when actually this is something that definitely has to be done in parallel. Uh, if you want to save time, and we can talk about this later on, you know, because uh, managing time in these in this, uh, kind of approaches and processes is so, is so important. So you want that voice early on in the process. That brings me uh, a bit to... Talk about Dragon Innovation. As I said, for us, it's a reference because we learn so much from you guys. Um, can you tell us, so what is Dragon Innovation and, and what kind of support and services uh, do you provide? So Dragon is a, is a team, a small team. We're about you know, uh, 30 uh, people in, in the team. And we are experts in manufacturing. Uh, that's that's what we do. You know, we we know manufacturing. We've lived it. We've been on factories, and we help teams building a complex hardware product. So anything from a smartwatch to a connected coffee machine or a drone, something with five motors, some bent sheet metal, plastic injection motors, some PCBA, a couple of screens. Uh, maybe you have, you know, some Bluetooth, maybe some Wi-Fi, but, you know, some, something complex. Um, and we help those teams plan and execute their uh, new product introduction. And by the new product introduction is to be taken in the more restrictive term, which in Europe, we sometimes talk about industrialization. Mm -hmm. the, it's the part going from a looks like, works like, you know, a final prototype to you know building thousands of machines uh, thousands of units so we we help with this so why you know why do you need to uh, help with the planning part of it uh, because hardware you know building hardware manufacturing is expensive and and if it's expensive you need to convince people that you know uh, you to give you money and and if you you know so if you can say i've worked with some experts and they tell me i need so much money for the product for the non-recurring engineering uh and i need so much time you know to bring the product to market they will be more likely to be convinced that you know you know what you you know where you're going mm -hmm. so that's the planning part uh, then where we help is once you have the money then you can start you know, looking for a manufacturing partner. And manufacturing partners come in all size and shapes and you can you know, look for them you know, in Europe, you can look for them in Asia, you can look for big ones, small ones, experts in smartwatch or experts in, in drones. And depending on your product, they're not all the right fit. Um, 
So we have a huge network, you know, the Dragon itself has been in existence for over 11 years, but we, you know, before joining Dragon, for instance, I spent, you know, 20 years in, in different uh, factories and industries. So we have visited factories, we have worked with factories, and we can search that database to find the right fit for what, you know, your product is, the complexity, the market, the, the number of units you're trying to manufacture. That's the first step. Uh, and then, because it is manufacturing, when you start launching a product, you have to be there. There's so many questions that happen, uh, so many, so much knowledge that has to be transferred from your team to the manufacturing team that it's very important to be there, you know, at least at the beginning. And, and if you're manufacturing in a foreign country, if you're manufacturing, you know, especially if that country is far away, let's take China, uh, if you don't know, you know, if you can understand what's being said during, you know, around the machine, uh, you're going to miss out a lot. And so what we offer as a service is a production oversight. So we have about uh, 15 employees, uh, colleagues, who are the engineers, and they're Chinese, and they're based in the Shenzhen area for the most part. And they can be the eyes and ears of the team in the factory. And they, you know, they will make sure that whatever you design, you specified, you know, is happening. Uh, and it's extremely important uh, because, you know, you, you have to be there, if only to know what, what's happening, to be able to see when there could be a step change in your quality. Uh, and maybe we can, you know, we can go into that, uh, into that later. So three products, you know, pre-manufacturing support for, with estimation of the cost of the timeline, uh, building up the quality plan, then finding, you know, assistance with the RFQ, finding the right CM for your product, your market, your, your new units, and then production of a site. And the production of a site, we only offer that in Asia because, for instance, if you're a, uh, a team in Europe and you choose to manufacture in Europe, one of the reasons is because well, travel used to be easier, but it's still doable. Uh, and you can be there and maybe you can speak the language. So that's, you know, you don't need, uh, you know, you can do it yourself. But definitely, if you're manufacturing for East, we, we've seen uh, in this COVID area, a lot of uh, teams approach us saying, I'm stuck. I cannot, I have a production run scheduled. I cannot go there. I know I have to be there. Can you help us? And then uh, your colleagues, uh, they can do the production of our side there. Correct. So when they, if they are available, uh, then they, they can, you know, they can go there. And, and knowing that, you know, there's a difference, you know, that there's, there, you can do a quality check. If, if, if all you need is a check of the quality of your, you know, your batch, and you have already an established, you know, uh, quality plan, and it's, you know, it's been running, it's not the first batch you're doing, it's a very uh, short-term option. There are other, you know, uh, company and that offer that service that are better suited than mm -hmm. us. We tend to look at, okay, I've selected, the, 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 the company that are hurting the most are the companies that just finished prior to this, you know, in January, February, they had selected their factory, they're ready to start manufacturing, and that's when you need the most, you know, a person on site for you know two, three months, you know, of the the ramp, the, the installation and the ramp up, and they have nobody. They cannot go there. You need someone, you know, full time 
uh, on the ground. That's where we you know our people you know are, are best suited because they are they are engineers. They understand uh, and they will dive into you know get a full understanding of your product. Let's let's go let's go through all these phases that you mentioned. Actually, yeah, the, these three phases, these clearly distinct phases, and I will say. Um, the first one will be a bit about the preparation. So um, in our case, we have this acceleration program. I will say um, we also talk about industrialization. Maybe in our case, we are pre-Dragon Innovation, let's say, eh? because in our case, um, when when they go through our acceleration program, what, what the startups say at the end is like, now I, I lost the fear of manufacturing because probably it's the first time that they have a direct um, uh, experience what manufacturing may look like. Uh, um, but maybe that's just before to to your process. But uh, a classic situation that we are living in is that a hardware-based startup will come to us, and and they will say, "Hey, look, I built this. Boom, uh, it works. Eh? It looks like uh, works like it it works. Uh, I built five of those in my garage. Now I need to build five thousand units. How how can I do it? And then." The, always the million dollar question is like, well, I have several questions for you. So what would you say to that startup, that entrepreneur? But the, 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 the sub question to that will be, um, how can you tell that that uh, version of the product is, is mature enough, is manufacturing ready, uh, or even that the company is manufacturing ready? So how do you assess that? Yes, so it's, it's a good question. Um, the you know you if you've made you know you've made five units in your garage, and now you want to make you have a market the market you need to make five thousand and let's say you have enough money to buy you know the, all the raw material for this. Um, well, the first question is you know you can ask yourself why don't you make the other five thousand yourself? What's stopping you from doing this? So maybe it's well it's too slow. Right in my garage, you know, uh, I have to do, you know, to cut, you know, the, the species, and and uh, you know, I need to go faster. Uh, okay, well then, you know, uh, just buy buy another machine. Yeah, but then the assembly would take too long, right? Um, and so you have, uh, you know, you, you can stop get grasping the complexity of what you what, what you want to do. You know, to make five thousand. You know, in addition to make five of it is fun. To make five thousand can start becoming boring. Um, so what was what's going to happen is you know you're going to chop the, the the you know the the job in different parts, um, and in order to do that, you need to be able to pass that knowledge. And and that's a bit you know to know if you're ready is can you tell someone you know your spouse, your nephew, your cousin, you know your your neighbor say hey, make this because if you come with your party, you say, okay, make me 5,000 of these, I'll pay you. Yeah, but if you don't explain where, you know, what's important about this, you might not get what you want. Actually, I would say most likely you will not get what you want. Uh, so you need to have a product definition. Say, okay, in this that I made, what's important is you see this little screen over there. It needs to be right there centered, you know, from no more than five millimeters on each side. And ideally, you should say five millimeters plus or minus, you know, something, right, on this side. And you see the seal over here. It's very important because this needs to be splash resistant. It's an IP, you know, something uh, product. So the seal over here needs to be uninterrupted. 
Now, and this is all your, you know, it's your product definition where you define what is important and your quality plan, which is based on product definition. It's going to tell you, you know, so product definition is the screen needs to be, you know, centered on the, the box. The quality plan, we say, you know, the distance over here from the edge to the screen is five plus or minus one. You know? And if you give this, you know, to your, you know, the, the, your, your manufacturer, you might, you know, you will get what you want. Uh, what you don't know is how they will get there, but that you shouldn't care. You shouldn't right. care how it's done because that's their expertise. They might have a different machine, you know, and that's, that's a bit where you, you know, uh, something which is maybe touching on a soft side of are you ready is you're, you're going to have to release control a little bit, you know, people, you know, know what you want, be 80% certain of, you know, how you, you know, what you need, but whether the seal is, you know, uh, to put the seal around your screen, to use that example, is done, you know, when you apply it clockwise or counterclockwise, you know, whether you stand on your left foot and you do it with your right hand mm -hmm. or not, mm -hmm. that doesn't matter as long as what you have is in the end is your seal is, you know, is, is correct. So that's, you know, uh, that's what you need, you know, your, your product definition, your quality plan. If you have an assembly uh, document, you know, which step to assemble first, that might help. Because what might happen otherwise is the person, they will assemble the first, you know, 50 and, and then they realize, oh, shoot, you know, this cable had to go around this, but now I can't put it on. So I have to disassemble it in the process of disassemble it because you didn't design it for disassembly because you forgot. Uh, now you have to break it apart and or you have to heat up, you know, this part. And unfortunately, you have your battery behind it and you destroy your battery. So now you have to buy 50 more batteries. Mm. Yeah. You can be, find yourself in a stressful situation. Uh, and the other part is your bomb and your cat, you know, your bill of material. Um, you tell someone else to build your product and you say, I want them, you know, in three weeks or three months. Well, how do they know that they can buy all the raw materials, you know, in that, uh, in that time frame? Maybe you have a multi-layer ceramic capacitor that has a 50-week lead time. And maybe to date, let's, you know, it doesn't happen, but last year it was happening. That was the case. Mm. So you need a bill of material, not just saying, okay, this is what I want, but you also want to put, you know, what this is, you know, the lead time I expect, this is the price. This all will facilitate not just how the product, you know, is made, but it will also enable whomever you partner with. And I'm using partnering because it's not someone you engage, someone you pay, someone, it's a partnership. This person whom you will partner with, to assess the quote, you know, how much, mm -hmm. how much labor goes into this, you know, how much material to give you an, you know, a reasonable quote. So that's what you need. Do you have a Bowman cat ready? Do you have a product definition? You know, uh, do you have, you know, maybe, well, maybe assembly documents and quality plan? Those we can, you know, uh, assembly documents, it you, you doesn't have to be very professional. But if you've made five, you know, the first three, just make them. But when you start having a routine, it's good to kind of document. Um, and that's where, you know, having someone who knows all this by your side, you know, 
what you assess and you say, okay, let's let's time you now, you know, let's document, let's take pictures of the different steps so that you can pass that knowledge on. This is this is, I think, a great summary actually of how to get manufacturing ready in, in five minutes here with so what kind uh, of documentation and preparation you need to do that? In, in fact, I wanted to ask you, so um, according to you, what will be the difference between uh, a proof of concept and a, and, a, and a final prototype? So how can we assess the maturity of the, of the prototype, if you want? So proof of concept, uh, typically, how do we know battery that you found somewhere else, shoebox behind it, lots of cables. Uh, it literally, you know, you're proving the concept. Okay, it can work. There is no, you don't have to break any fundamental law of physics or of the universe to make it work. Uh, and that's where, you know, the, that, that's the challenge of the, the, the teams who are really at the, the edge of technology, which are pushing the limits of the physics. Uh, you know, those high-tech uh, startups, they, you know, you don't want to yeah, yeah, break any law of the universe. Uh, this being said, I think it's better to be there than to try to sell uh, Bluetooth headsets right now. I mean, because there's so many out there and there's no way. I mean, well, I know one way, uh, which I've seen happening, but uh, it's, yeah, it's very, very challenging. So, that's, you know, the Arduino allows you to program things. You know, you can make the lights turn, the button, the motors, you know, uh, go on uh, and, and it works. Your prototype, your final prototype, uh, it's not necessarily uh, made the way you will make your product, but it looks like it works like it has all the functionalities. Final means you're not going to, allow anybody to add any feature uh, to it. You know, the feature creep is, you know, is a never ending, you know, oh, how about we add this? And now we make the screen, you know, in, in color. And now it's it's also called gold plating engineering. You know, it's just, it's, you have your MVP, you know, your, your, your product there, you, you make it, you know, MVP sounds a bit more, uh, you know, restrictive, so I don't like right. to use it because it has this minimum, which, uh, but your prototype works like, looks like, you know, uh, and, and, you know, has, has all the functions, 80% frozen. Maybe you still don't have the right, you know, um, the right material, uh, but it's functional. It's certainly uh, most likely not completely made the way you will make the next 5,000 units. Uh, but yeah, it, it, it does work. Okay. Okay. And I think it's a good distinction because how often eh, this happens that uh, someone comes to you and say, hey, this is ready to be manufactured. And I say, well, this is far from that, you know? Right. Um, and, and, it, and it's always difficult to get that message across of, of why is that? And, and, and so I would add two things to this. Uh, is one, it's not like proof of concept, prototype, full production. It's proof of concept, Prototype, 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 prototype. Now I decide that my this is my final prototype. Now I go and I try to manufacture that. Uh, to prototype, it's a verb, you know, prototyping. It's uh, and, and it's a not word. a never-ending, you know, improvement. Uh, but 
you, the first one is you know it's most likely not going to be you know the the final one um you the what you have you know the, your your prototype you, it has to be your final prototype it has to be you know manufacturable uh, so you have to have to be able to manufacture uh, in a, at the scale you want, uh, but I would caution that it's not because something has been designed to be manufacturable. You know, so I, I see sometimes some teams teams that come and say, "I have a design, I have the bomb, I have the CAD, I have my prototype. It is manufacturable. Uh, I need to go into production." And what they they're missing there is that in order to go into production. Yes, it is manufacturable, but you still can't manufacture it. And that's a bit like the, the, what, what's difficult to explain is you can't manufacture it because you don't have the tools. We don't have the jigs. You don't have the fixtures. You don't have the money uh, to, to, to do this. You haven't certified it. You know, it, so you cannot. It, it's still going to take from a manufacturable prototype. It's still going to take nine to 12 months right. in full production. Right, uh, and and people tend to think that it's it's going to be much much shorter. Right, right. Well, there there uh, you show the complexity of the process. Eh? So so that's that's the case. And so we, we are following a path here. Eh? So we have now a, a hardware based startup. They did their homework. They have their bomb. They did uh, their assembly uh, uh, documentation. Uh, they documented all the all the aspects, um, and they are. Manufacturer, manufacturing ready, let's say, taking into account that they have the, the 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 economics, the capital, and all the elements that we can talk about that later on. And uh, so, what uh, you are suggesting, typically or in many cases, it makes sense to go for a contract manufacturer. And and what I would like you is to to um, explain to us what is a contract manufacturer, and and when looking for one. What is it that you need to look for? Okay, so so a contract manufacturer is someone who uh, I don't want to say is cursed. Uh, I don't know if it's, you know I, I see it more as a blessing, but has a lot. I was going to say probably is gifted. It's not cursed, but it's gifted. well. No, they're, they're gifted, but they're cursed because they have lots of machine and production hall and lots of tools and people that you know they have to pay and all that, and they have to make stuff, right? Right. The contract manufacturer is someone you know who has the tool to 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 make things. Uh, and now the, you have to differentiate a bit. You know the contract manufacturer. You, know, you need a contract manufacturer if your product is fairly complex, uh, and if you you will be able to interest a contract manufacturer to make your product if you your volume is high enough. Right. So. To take the example, if you're looking at making a, you know, Bluetooth speaker right now, and there are, you know, hundreds of companies that are making Bluetooth speakers. Technologies is there. If yours has nothing special except maybe it has your fancy logo on it and it's has two bamboo, you know, sides uh, to attract, you know, specific, you know, to be appealing to a specific market. You don't need a contract manufacturer. You know, you can look at an ODM, someone who already makes this. They'll put, you know, two bamboo sides and your logo on the sticker, and you're done. Uh, but you don't have a lot of control on that, on that side. The contract manufacturer, you know, is, is someone who will you will partner with 
and to whom you will explain this is the product. You know, they will look into it, they will look at the bond, they will look at the cat, and they will tell you if it's interesting to them. Uh, because, you know, it's not, you know, it has to be interesting to them. They, they need to be involved. They're going to put a lot of effort into it. You have different sides of product manufacturers. You know, some uh, often when you create a product, it's so beautiful, it looks like an, you know, an iPhone, let's say. And people want the same white glossy finish that they see on the iPhones. And, and they say, but therefore, I'm going to go to the same factory, you know, uh, and they're going to go to, you know, J-Bill and all this, not realizing that those are huge factories. Those are like, you know, mini villages. And, you know, if you have had the chance to go into factories, you know, in, in China, large factories, you know, they have the cafeteria, they have the people, you know, sleeping there. You know, it's, it, it's, running, it, it's, it's a huge organization. And if you're looking at making 5,000, beautiful you know uh products that you this is this is not enough you know uh and if you ever get the interest of those people and they say yes and you manage to get a contract you, you're going to be so small in that big ocean your order is going to be so insignificant that you're not going to get the attention that you will need when a problem arises so you want to find a contract manufacturer that, you know, you don't want to be the biggest fish in a small pond where you cannot turn around and you're limited in capacity and can expand, but you don't want to also be a small fish in a big ocean. Uh, so you want to find the right, you know, the, the right contract manufacturer. Uh, it's a partnership in a sense that, you know, you need to know what you want, but you need to be open at how you're going to get there. Your, you know, beautiful white, glossy, you know, product could potentially be made with a cheap plastic that's then sanded and spray painted by a master spray painter, you know, and you would not be able to tell the difference unless you scratch the coating off. But you might not know that. In your head, maybe the only way would be to start with very expensive, right. you know, most expensive white polycarbonate and to have a super high, but you want to be open to that or you're going to maybe miss cost-saving opportunities. Um, that's, the, that's the process. <laughs> yeah, so the process of, you know, finding a CM is you're going to need to get them interested in your product you find the right CM, you know, not the drone making company if you're making a, a smartwatch. Um, and you need to reassure them that the product, the, the prototype you have, you know, is working, that you're not going to change design, that you have the funds to be able to pay them because then they're doing it. They will want to get paid. Uh, manufacturing is, you know, you don't make a lot of money in manufacturing. They most likely your contract in fact is actually not going to make any money in the first you know hundreds or thousands of products they're going to make, but after that they're going to get better at it and they're going to start making a little bit of money. Uh, but you know that's you know so, so but they need to get paid. So if you don't have the funds yet, if you cannot you know show that you you've raised that, don't bother looking for a contract manufacturer. Uh, they're also not going to make any favor. You know, on the basis that, can you please send me, you know, uh, spend some time on my product, tell me where I need to improve it, uh, because 
my market is going to be big and I'm going to take over the world and there's going to be huge demand and I'm going to place an order, you know, a huge order in six months to a year. The I'm going to place your order, it's not going to, has no weight. Either you have the money to pay now or, or you don't. Um, and they like to know that you, you know, you, who is in your team. If you, if it's only three people, you know, fresh out of, you know, with with little um, uh, experience, without some advisor in the back, without a strong team supporting them and advising them, it's very difficult uh, because they, it's going to be difficult to get the confidence that you that you've thought over everything. This and then is, uh, I'll, I'll finish maybe on this. Is yeah, yeah. If if you look at a uh, you know if you design your product with electronics now and with the internet, it's quite easy to find a lot of tutorials on how to use that module to control that motor and all this. The problem is you find most information about modules that are the oldest, mm. and and that module that you picked you picked it because you found all this information and it was easier for you. But that module may be near, nearing the end of its life, and maybe three months from now, it's not going to be produced anymore. And when you go to your contract manufacturer, say, "I cannot find that part; it doesn't exist." I mean, it, it's not you cannot find it, and that's a, that's a, that's a problem. And some experts in there will tell you very quickly, say, "Hey, don't use this; change that." I have I have so many questions I have to say. I'm answering them. <laughs> no, no, but maybe maybe this is the, the first of, of, of other conversations. But exactly what you were saying, so to build up on the last part of your of your answer will be what would be a recommendation from your side uh to uh first-time hardware entrepreneurs in order to gain credibility in front of uh, of contract manufacturers. You already gave some hints there. Um, is about having is is about having the capital, you know. So you need to show that you can make it happen. That this is you are not just exploring, but you are serious. You are serious, looking for a for a for a potential contractor. Um, is also about showing the team and who is behind the team and how solid is that. How solid is adventure? Is anything else that you can um, uh, provide to the audience so so they they get properly prepared to to approach the contract manufacturers. Yeah. Uh, one, one thing that's important is the um, the attitude you 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 will have, right? Um, if you understand that you uh, you are looking for a partnership, then you know the the non disclosure agreement you're going to send to your contract manufacturer is going to be a two way. You know, it's going to be a mutual NDA. If you send a one way NDA where you know you give the impression that you have something super secret and innovative, you know, to bring to the table, and you don't want them to, you know, uh, to to use it or steal it, and that's your right. But you almost negate the whole fact that they also have they're working with other uh, product, and they also have knowledge that they don't want you to take from them. So make it fair. You know, you, you want to be able to, to, to make it fair. So that approach uh, is there. It's still their factory. You're going to, you know, and that's why it's not because you have a contract with a contract manufacturer and they've agreed to make your product that suddenly you can dictate that, oh, we are late 
Um, so you need to double the production. Uh, so you need to add two lines to make my product and hire another 150 people because uh, I'm late and I need, you know, well, it's your problem that you're late. You need to try to work with your, manu- you know, you, with your manufacturing partner to solve it, but you cannot dictate how they're going to get there. Because if they hire 150 people now, and then your orders start, you know, tapering off, they're the ones stuck with their, you know, their, their employees. Um, so you you have to be able to put yourself in their shoes and 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 really, you know, looking at it. That you know that goes a long way. This this mutual respect, and that's what you know at Dragon we 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 help you know bring up is you know look you know it's a balanced uh, relationship. They have a factory, they have a people, they have some knowledge. You have a product that's interesting to them. You're paying them, so you allow them to you know to continue you know their operation. They're allowing you to sell your product, uh, and and it's you know this balance you also find uh, where we, we help you know in the the golden triangle you know the cost quality schedule in, in manufacturing. Um, you know if you if you're pushing you know for you know on the schedule side and you want to reduce you know your your timeline, it's going to bring your cost up. You know, uh, and what you don't want is you don't want to bring your quality down. Say okay. I, I don't care about quality because that's going to, you know, that's never going to work. Uh, it, you, you, your product, you know, you're not going to build a, a reputation. Uh, and well, as far as Dragon, we might very much, you know, most likely choose to not work with someone who uh, decides that quality is not important. So actually, that, that's that's a good way to go to the next question. So there are three key elements uh, when uh, getting ready for, for manufacturing. And, and we've been covering uh, basically, so that will be quality. Uh, and that will be uh, uh, planning in the sense of timing, a schedule. And then it will be also about uh, cash. It will be about uh, having a, a good financial plan to, to uh, finance the operation. So we talked. I think a fair amount about quality. Um, also taking into account the time we have. One question about planning. So according to your experience, what is it? It always takes two, three times more than you plan in advance. So, uh, and and the question will be according to your experience, what is the number one reason for delays in planning, and how can we avoid those? So, so the delays uh, most likely are come by unrealistic you know uh, expectation of how long it takes to make to to, to make a product um, we, we, I'm working now you know with, with a customer and we're, we're just trying to you know we've identified some contract manufacturers in you know in Europe in Asia and um, and because Europe is not dead as far as manufacturing there's a lot of manufacturing in Europe uh, and 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 just to get the NDA signed, there's so much back and forth. It took three, it's taking three, more than three weeks. So that's almost a month that's there. We haven't been able to exchange files yet. Um, and and that's, it's, that's one month. So if right now, if you are looking at manu- making a product, you know, if you start looking for contract manufacturers now, and if you want to sell for this Christmas, you're too late. So if okay. you if you're planning on selling for this Christmas, forget it. You, you're gonna have you you're gonna have what you think are delays, but they're not delays. They're just you had unrealistic 
expectation Planning. of timeline. Yeah. What we yeah. say is, you know, when you start looking for a contract manufacturer, the time you're in production, you know, if everything goes well and your product is not too complex, nine months, if not 12 months, you know, uh, you're going to need the product, you know, without wanting to make a big deal of it, you know, you, you're going to need your product to be uh, certified. Um, and you're going to have to take products from your production line and start the certification, but that's a couple of months. You don't want to sell product that is not certified. Um, so, you, but you, you cannot do that until you start, you know, you've identified your contract manufacturer. So this process, you know, we we have uh, we we print it sometimes on the back of our business cards, and I'm sure it's on some of some of the blogs that we have on our website. A typical timeline of how long it takes. Uh, yeah, count count nine months. You know, start saying twelve months. Then someone is going to push you to reduce it, push it down to nine months. But that's you know, don't go below. You you you'll be losing that battle. And and then the second question is about the money, about the the the, the cash flow, and, and maybe you can give us some indication there. So, one of the difficulties of hardware-based companies and startups is that you have to finance. It. Well, first of all, it's capital intensive in comparison to other ventures, like will be uh, more digital-based ventures. Um, and the second thing is also about payment terms. So you may need to pay things in advance. You don't have the result yet. So managing cash flow becomes crucial. So maybe two questions there, and let's see if we can uh, answer those briefly. One is that, what would you say is the minimum uh, stack of money that you need to have in your pocket in order to start that venture of manufacturing, even if it's like a relatively small series? That's one. And secondly, will be, is there any recommendation to take into account when managing um, a cash flow in relation to that specific phase of, of industrializing or manufacturing? So how much money you're going to need? I, that, that's really dependent on, you know... Uh, on the complexity of your product. Uh, and again, if you, you're not going to look for a uh, contract manufacturer if you're making less than thousands of, you know, of, of units. Um, and so look at your bomb, look at you know, thousands of units, uh, multiply that by you know, a factor of two, three, four, five. Uh, that's how much money you would need. People tend to confuse you know, the... the the raw material cost and your bond cost with your cost of goods sold. Um, you're going to need to make a mold, you know, you're going to, need to make some fixtures, you're going to, need to make test benches. Uh, all this, you know, comes to play. They're, they're, they're non-recurring engineering fees. They add up. Uh, you're not going to be able to make, you know, if you have raised, you know, 60,000, 100,000, I mean, we, we have this number in our head that, you know, and that's not, again, to be taken with a grain of salt. If you haven't raised a million, uh, it's not going to happen. Uh, you know, I mean, it might happen in some very few cases. It's, it's usually in the million of, you know, few millions right. to be able to, to, to make it. Because, you know, it, it's not because a mold is necessarily very expensive. A mold might be five to 10,000. Uh, but you're going to make, you know, 5,000 units. Maybe there's, 20, you know, 10, 20 euros in there, that's, you know, it, it adds up and you need to pay your people. Uh, the other part to look at, you mentioned the cash flow, is we, we had a tool called the uh, product planner that we uh, was looking at the, you know, this, those nine to 12 months and the different, what's happening from ordering a more to paying and the payment terms, let's face it, your startup, 
people have, you know, nine out of 10 of the startups fail. They mostly fail because they run out of the money. People are going to want to be paid up front. You're going to have very little negotiation powers, power to, 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 um, to not pay up front. And you're going to have to pay up front. And then your staff is going to be made. And, and then if you chose to manufacture, you know, in the Far East and it's in a boat for five months, your money is going to be stuck in a boat for five months. And then your distributor or how you sell it, they might pay and you get the money, you know, 30 or 90 days later. So you need to look at this whole cash flow. And there are things, you know, if you can play with the payment term, maybe air shipping, you know, costs you a little more, but you get your money back faster. Uh, and that's where also manufacturing in Europe is interesting because you might need, you know, while if you manufacture in Asia, you might need to have, you know, a million and a half. Manufacturing in Europe, you know, you might need to raise less capital because you have, you know, less working process, you know, inventory. Maybe it's easier to communicate to get, you know, uh, maybe not, you know, uh, payment term, but, you know, it's, it's, it's a different, it's a different game. I, I like that you end like that because uh, it, this is the perfect segue for my last question. Because uh, in fact, we as a center for entrepreneurship, one thing that we we are looking for is to uh, uh, help the reindustrialization of Europe and, and Barcelona in that case because we are here. But we believe that that there is lots of potential on doing that. And I would like to get very briefly your, what is your perspective on, so, so how does the hardware ecosystem look in, in Europe? And also what, what are the opportunities for Europe um, regarding, as you said before, uh, Europe is not dead from a non-factoring perspective. So what are opportunities are there? So um, I'll say just, you know, la last week I was uh, in Northern Italy and I went to a factory that's uh is you know has been alive for i want to say over 50 years they have seven factories seven plants over you know 1300 people working and and they're flexible they have some lines with you know a couple uh you know the 20 employees and some line with hundreds of employees uh so there is manufacturing it is you know it is in italy it is in uh in spain it is in france it is in england uh Yes, it's also, you know, it's also manufacturing is like the the advantage that now European manufacturing and you know, manufacturers have is, uh, yes, the labor rates have been going up in China, you know, about 20% on average. So that's not helping the case of the, you know, for, for Chinese. Uh, automation is, you know, more and more accessible. So that's a good point, you know, for Europe. Uh, we had a trade war that was started close to two years ago, I believe. That doesn't help, uh, you know, the, the Chinese counterparts. Uh, local, you know, local being local is, is definitely helpful, especially for your first product when you don't have the experience how to deal with manufacturing. Uh, and recently, you know, we have this COVID crisis, which makes travel, you know, impossible or very difficult. So you cannot be uh, cannot be there. So manufacturing, you know, it, it, there is some. It's it's uh, it, it is. I don't know if it's strong or not, but it is possible and it has certain advantages. Not even going into the side of, you know, sustainability and having less impact and a smaller carbon footprint and all this. So this is a whole, you know, and we're we very, uh, you, you may want to look into this also. Uh, ecosystem, startup ecosystem, how I see it, you know, in, in Europe uh, is, you know, 
London is strong, yes, uh, because you know you you have you have there, there's money, there's the language. Uh, France is strong. You have La French Tech that's pushing its political decision. Uh, Northern Italy is strong. Spain, you have you know islands, you know Barcelona, Valencia, Madrid, you know this you know uh, pockets like this that are very active. The Baltics. Yes, I mean, uh, you know, Riga, you know, I've been working there, but all proportion, you know, it's a few million people. Um, the Nordics also, we, we have customers, you know, in Norway, uh, but it's a few million people. And, you know, if you have to travel, if they're, you know, hundreds or thousands of kilometers apart, you know, you want to, it's, it's much easier to do it in a community, community right. of startups community with you know the, the ecosystem with the funders the manufacturing the experts you know that can, that can help you and maybe the market and that's one thing on the the, the european uh well system is our market is still more fragmented uh and if we can have a global uh maybe not a global market uh because i don't think a uh you know an italian a man will ever buy a German shoes. Maybe they would, but the style is very different. Uh, but we still have you know, those 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 original things. Um, no, I, I think if we can have on the manufacturing side a general database, and that's what Dragon, you know, we've been working at, at building uh, where we can a searchable database when you can uh, facilitate finding this right contract manufacturer. It's we will make great gains. And, and, and actually, and, and this I think this is a great way of ending, um, for the reasons that you mentioned also, maybe there is a great opportunity now, I mean, because of the COVID crisis, and, and, and I see the, the EU uh, will be, they are discussing right now this recovery fund, this new generation uh, recovery fund. There are three pillars in which uh, some, some funding is going to be made available. One for digitalization of economies, the other one is about renewable energies, and the third one is about uh, developing uh, um, uh, added value industrial companies. Um, and, and hopefully that's going to be used uh, wisely um, in order to, to reinforce the industrial sector and to reinforce the creation of, of uh, new uh, uh, industrial companies that they have as a basis science and engineering, because we need more of those. That's exactly what, what we need. Um, Nicolas, um, I have to say the hour went super fast. I think it's been super insightful. In fact, we got some uh, comments from, uh, I, I didn't have the time to throw in any question from the audience, although we had few here and we had some comments from the audience that uh, the explanations were great. So thank you for the masterclass today on um, getting ready for manufacturing. And again, mm -hmm. I will recommend anyone to, to go over to dragoninnovation.com and check the, the different tools and, and blog for, for uh, from great insights. So, Nicolas, thank you very much. Thank you, my pleasure. Thank you. So, um, with that, um, I would like to 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 come to an end to this uh, episode, the last of the season of IQS Tech Factory Talk Series. Uh, once again, I would like to thank to the IQS Tech Factory team and the Barter team for making it so easy. We started this in the middle of the of the lockdown. Um, and it has worked very well. We are looking forward to a season two uh, that is going to be, uh, well, we are working with different uh, guests and, and, and we're going to come on a recurring basis every other week. 
And um, so typically we end by announcing the next session, but the next session is going to be in September. There is no final date yet, but uh, please check your uh, uh, inboxes if you're subscribed to our newsletter because you can get uh, the notification there. And also uh, we would like to wish that during this summer break, you have time to disconnect, to get inspired, and also to connect with the loved ones. We all need to do that in the coming, in the coming weeks. And uh, with that, uh, we look forward to see you back in September. So see you then. Have a great summer.